Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rally DNA podcast. This week's episode is another in our retrospective series, this time centred upon one of the undoubted heavy hitters of the WRC calendar, Rally Portugal. Joining me to help dissect a pair of classic Iberian, Iberian events is my co-host and Irish rallying guru, Killian Cronin. Killian, what first comes to your mind when someone mentions Rally Portugal to you? Well, I suppose it's it's one of these ones that really evokes that image of the... And I suppose I put this in in my segment as well, that it's it's this one that's really... Excuse me. The parting of the Red Sea with the crowds. You know, okay, obviously it has had a poor reputation of spectator safety and obviously that infamous event in 86, but, you know, right up into, into the nineties, um, it still looked like that, you know, but it is, it, you know, the stages always look really good. It's, it's, you know, it's always been, it seems to have thrown up no share of thrillers as it were, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of, I suppose we probably both had a similar issue with picking something for this because there's, there's quite a few you could pick, um, you know, it's a, it's had quite it's had quite a few multiple winners. You know, it's one of the oldest rounds of the championship um as well. You know, it's had it's had two drivers to win it five times as well, you know. So it's had um it's had a few guys kind of dominated over the years, but it, I think ultimately it's 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 cars coming over the Fafe jump or something like that and, and just you know sheer, you know, massive numbers of people lining the stages and scarcely millimeters from cars as they go past. Absolutely, mate. Couldn't agree more. And um, I think we probably both had the uh, the same opinion when researching, doing notes for this, is the, the crowd control issue. And uh, I suppose if you want to be generous, you'd call it passionate crowds. But that, when I knew it persisted, it didn't end with Group B, but certainly, my God, it persisted long into the 90s, didn't it? <laughs> far, far too long. While, while it is, you know, it does add something to when, when you're watching old footage of it. It does you have to kind of stop yourself and you're like, oh, that looks, you know, that would be great to be there and see that. And then you do have to wind yourself back a few more, a few years further back and go, well, you know, there's a, there's a reason it really shouldn't be like that. And, you know, and, and look, we've both spectated many's the rally over the years and we know, we know the risks involved that it did seem to prolong mm. itself a lot in Portugal. Um, um, and, and although it does, it does have a bit of a romantic element to it because of that, you do have to consider, and, and it's very important to consider that there's a, a very good reason why things like that shouldn't be seen again. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Portugal has been a fixture of the WRC calendar for generations, and while it might not have quite the same cachet as the likes of the Monte or even the Tour de Course, every ardent long-term rally fan recognises it as among the finest gravel events Europe has to offer. What's more, Portugal has served up more than its fair share of drama, intrigue and adverse weather over the years, Went with many of the many of the most consequential incidents taking place in the modern era. In short, there's plenty for Killy and myself to select from, and we hope that you guys approve of our choices. First, though, a brief word from our sponsors, Slip and Grip Automotive. Slip and Grip Automotive is a UK-based motorsport events organizer and members club with a diverse roster of events to its name, including uh, a impressive selection of rally sprints and test dates. These are all from run from its fabulous base of operations in West Wales, the Bont Rally Stage, one that's representative representative of many of the tarmac special stages commonly encountered in the UK and Ireland. It makes a compelling case for any competitor seeking to be better prepared for their next competitive outing, and is therefore ideal for those of you seeking to blow the cobwebs of your pride and joy in the months and weeks, weeks and months leading up to a rally. I have plumped for the 1998 running of Rally Portugal, um, mainly because it's one that I recall watching at the time uh, as a, a rally-obsessed 10-year-old um, and, and watching in the best way you could back then, which meant you know watching it a few days later and reading about it in Motorsport News and Autosport because I'm an old codger. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's one that I have very, very vivid memories of, um, and a big part of that at the time was because it was pure vintage McRae grist, um, certainly in terms of their pro drive years. Uh, and uh, it was a rally that uh, I, as a WRC zealot with an unabashed partisan leanings towards McRae and Subaru embraced unashamedly. Um, <laughs> Something you've never alluded to before as well. You, 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 you wear your heart on your sleeve when it comes to your, your nineties <laughs> passion for McRae. Well, yeah, it's a bit more, you know, Scottish uh, t- blood. 
Oh, it's a bit more tapered, tem- tempered these days because I've got a more, you know, rounded adult approach to his career and, and what he achieved. But back then, you know, it was, yeah, it was, I think I've said before, I was you know, genuinely annoyed that he departed Subaru for Ford for 99. Uh, <laughs> um, naive as it undoubtedly was, I emerged from 98, from the 98 running of Rally Portugal with the cast iron conviction that it would be McRae and Gris crowned as World Rally Championships come the end of the year. Um, little did I know quite how unpredictable the remainder of that season would turn out to be. <laughs> um other personal highlights from this instalment uh, include a revitalised Juha Kankinen, uh, seemingly one with the Escort WRC and able to haul the rapidly aging machine further up the time sheets that most would have deemed credible. Um, and one of the final, or indeed the last appearance of Works Guys of the Evergreen Evo 4, uh, of course, the car with which Tommy achieved so much in the, the previous season. Um, seems always seem to kick around for a lot longer in works guys that that particular evo than than the cold hard stats um does doesn't right. it yeah, yeah i don't know it's it's maybe it's cuz it's been too much time looking at rallies from 96 and 97 but you know could could be a <laughs> could be a bit of that in there but yeah i mean yeah it did i mean ultimately yeah okay. um so in short i've selected 1998 because of what it represents you know my own formative interest in rallying or the WRC, the still new two-litre World Rally Championship regulations uh, and a roster of drivers that I kind of hero-worshipped and and occasionally watched in person at the time. So it's, yeah, peak formative WRC for me. Um, This is the 30-second running of Rally Portugal and... Uh, for, as usual, it was based out of Porto uh, with uh, much of its 380 kilometres competitive mileage uh, located in the southeast and the east of that city. Uh, the usual mix of flowing, tricky gravel uh, and lots of big old boulders, a bit of sharp bedrock to, to catch up the unwary. Um, and I've actually put a note in here saying, as we've already covered, about how bonkers some of the onboard footage looks. I mean, there's a bit I found... It's mentioned in the 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 WRC official recap, but I found on uh, it wasn't YouTube, some other you know YouTube YouTube upload site, uh, an onboard of Kankinen when he won SS8, and it I mean it looks for all the world like Portugal in the mid eighties. It's properly scary stuff, and I mean it does look like it's stuff from ten years before, like that someone's just inserted footage of an Impreza or whatever into it. And the bad old days of people, well, people jumping out with a, a a disposable camera to to get a really shit grainy photo of yeah an impressive WRC coming towards it, then jumping out the way at the last moment. It's like bloody hell. I'd I'd love to see not not only grainy, but probably they have to move so fast that there's no there's no way it captures anything that resembles like nothing more than a blur, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's that's Subaru, blue and gold, I promise you. Um, speaking of Subaru, uh, the opening years of the two-litre WRC era saw ProDrive and Subaru at the peak of their combined powers, uh, and boy, did it show in Portugal. The team had a pair of S5 Impreza WRCs, uh, one for McRae Grace, the other for Piero Leati and Fabrizio Pons, uh, pairing clearly heavily biased in the favour of the former, that one highly regarded and reckoned to be amongst the best rounded in the service park at the time. As for the car, well, the 98 Impreza was a certified icon the moment it appeared. Um, beautifully proportioned and still oozing with menace. No car, in my opinion, has better suited British American tobacco's iconic blue and gold. Uh, and precious few have commanded as much stage presence. Um, it was also technologically progressive, famously so, um, and, and perhaps a bit too progressive in some respects. Uh, it's uh, infamously infamously suspect reliability, uh, which daunted uh, Dog McRae uh, throughout 97 and various points in 1998. Uh, indeed, McRae had failed to finish in either of the preceding duo of rallies, Sweden and Kenya, uh, and this mechanical frailty, best showcased by the infamous bumpy bit in the middle of the Impreza's rev range, would haunt the Scot for the remainder of the year, uh, ultimately thwarting its championship aspirations. Uh, Ford, you could have been forgiven for thinking that Ford's 1998 would have been little more than a holding operation, uh, a chance for the team to gather itself in readiness for the launch of the Focus the following season, and with it, the recruitment of one Colin McRae. But not a bit of it. 
In fact, the M Sport operation was punching above its weight in the manner we've seen and become accustomed to in recent years. They are able to squeeze every last ounce of performance potential from the now rapidly el- rather elderly escort WRC, uh, all in an attempt to keep the, the likes of Toyota and Subaru honest. Portugal would demonstrate the car's inherent pace and, for the most part, reliability. Um, sadly, when those reliability issues did make themselves known, they tended to do so at vital points, something team leader Juha Kankaren would and could attest to. Um, as we'll soon see, uh, the Finns' performance in Portugal must rank as among the most impressive of the latter portion of his career, at least in my view, uh, so much so that he probably could have finished a fine second overall had his escort not elected to take inspiration from its earlier namesakes and revert to rear-wheel drive for a goodly portion of Saturday. Um, Ford's ambitions in Portugal were aided by Ari Vatanen, uh, back at M Sport for the, the second event on the bounce uh, super subbing for Bruno Tiri, who broke a few ribs in uh, in, in the recce for the safari. And I I must admit, I did some digging on this because I couldn't remember. All I remembered was that, that Tiri did himself a mischief and I couldn't remember what the reason. But this was on, a, I found on a, a 1998 ancient web page from Crash.net, as in still archived. <laughs> and it said that he did it from sitting in the back of a caged recce car for the safari driven by Kankinen, and Kankinen hit a pothole too quickly. And because Thierry was unbelted, apparently, in, as far as the description reads, basically spider monkey in himself in the back of the at the back of the car, he slipped and managed to sort of crack his ribs on the inside on one of the bits of the car. Which, I mean, that sounds traumatic. It, it does, and I, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it might be hokum as well, but it also sounds almost too good to not be true i don't know i mean i'm sure someone here will one of our listeners will be able to put me right if i'm wrong um, just don't let anything get in the way of a good story well exactly uh, exactly that yeah, yeah. We, well, we'll, re- we'll reach out to bruno for comment uh, <laughs> how are the ribs <laughs> um sounds like a terrible idea though in the first absolutely place. especially I'm, in kenya as well you know i mean it's not <laughs> renowned for smoothness <laughs> um so, yes, Audi Vatanen back, uh, having done such a, a stellar job in Kenya um, uh, and back, yeah, in an Escort WRC uh, in Portugal. Mitsubishi. So an ageing Finnish duo in the Escorts, then, kind of. A... An ageing Finnish duo in a, an ageing Ford rally car. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you consider that 20, it would have been 20 years previously, Vatanen was doing. Escort based exploits. Yeah. Yeah. In, and, in, and you think of the gap between as well, just from <laughs> a Mark II Escort to an Escort, a Group 4 Mark II Escort to an Escort WRC. But it speaks to uh, Portugal's long, Portugal's longevity as an event, as you mentioned earlier, that it's, it's, the, it's the same event that he, he was doing it on, you know, hmm. and, and could be now if he felt so inclined. You know, there aren't many that. That you could rely on as such a fixture. No. Um, uh, Mitsubishi and Raliat were another whether were another outfit with one eye fixed firmly on the months ahead, uh, with the new Evo 5 expected to make its works debut on the very next event in Spain. Uh until then it was a case of making two with the trusty Evo 4. A car by no means outclassed come this point in time, but certainly looking a might overshadowed when compared to the technological tour de forces employed by Subaru and Toyota. Rugby's finest could at least call upon the talents of one Tommy Mackinnon, a man beset with frustration due to the mixed matter in which his title defence had started. Yes, he'd taken the almost, his almost customary victory in Sweden, but this had been bracketed by non-scores in both the Monte and the Safari, and his championship ambitions were looking somewhat threadbare as a result. Um, yes, uh, the, basically the, the, the chips were down and uh, Mackinnon needed, ideally, a strong result from Portugal uh, to bolster said title ambitions and then his teammate was uh another another other, none other than richard burns uh who came to portugal flush with success having claimed his first wrc victory weeks beforehand on the safari um score he was doubtless keen to replicate as soon as possible he and robert reed would ultimately have to settle for somewhat less but it would nevertheless be a productive event for the pair and their charisma gt branded evo which if if you're you know and if you know anything about me, you'll know that I really, really love the fact that it was 
based as a charisma gt and a sort of really hackneyed marketing exercise yes you know. i i do enjoy a bit of um <coughs> odd odd homologation marketing nose you know yeah oh, yeah i mean that would you know it didn't fly back then really but it would never fly now can you imagine you know so it's a measure of how much more savvy your average car buyer is that <laughs> they don't just fall for rebadged too like that <laughs> yeah one of those charisma gts please <laughs> um, oh no no that's not that's not what he drove <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 1998 marked Toyota's first full season or complete season with the Corolla WRC uh, and thus TTE's first works complete year since the infamous events of 1995. Not that uh, anyone in the team was looking backwards at the time, not now it was clear just how effective a rally car the Corolla WRC was shaping up to be when placed in the hands of drivers Carlos Sainz and Didier Oriol. Sainz had taken victory in the opening round of the season, the Monte, uh, and followed it up with second in Sweden. While suspension failure forced him and Louis Moyer out of the safari, the duo were still looking well-placed for a title assault. Teammate Oriol's 98 had been less emphatically brilliant, but had nevertheless showed promise, most notably with a fine second from his own visit to East Africa. There was also a third Corolla WRC present in Portugal, this one driven by Freddy Loix, with backing from Toy to Belgium, and, as ever with Fast Freddy in this period, Marlboro Tobacco Sponsorship. Loics had driven superbly to end the previous running of the rally in second place overall at the wheel of a Celica GT4 uh, and no doubt sought to replicate the feat in a year in 1998. Uh, so uh, the first leg of the, the rally uh, consisted of 10 stage stages with a total competitive combined mileage of 134.66 kilometres. Um, the rally kicked off on the Sunday night with a or Sunday afternoon with a super special stage, the Lusuda uh, super special stage based at the, the old rallycross track. Um, and if you've seen videos from this event or even photos, there's quite a few in like the old McLean rally cars book. It's quite impressive because there's this vast bank of spectators, which for a long time when I was a kid, I didn't twig was at a super special stage. I just thought it must be some particularly hilly section of a special stage, but it's, it is the super special and, and, yeah, you look at the the onboards or even just the the exterior camera angles, and it's quite impressive. You know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, tens of meters above the cars. Um, yeah, looks like quite a good space to uh, to watch a, a rally, I must say. Um, but uh, yeah, predictably drew massive back, massive spectators. Um, uh, Oriel quickest through SSS one uh, by a mere zero point two seconds, uh, and then himself less than a second ahead of Colin Cray in third. Um, first proper stage of, was took place on Monday morning with Marcus Gronholm quickest, uh, the Santa Quitera uh, one stage. He led McRae by 4.3 seconds uh, as most of the other championship hopefuls opted to steadily drive themselves into the rally uh, in a more conservative fashion. Uh, it was the next stage, uh, the run from... Oh, by the way, there's going to be some... Sorry to our Portuguese listeners. There's going to be <laughs> our usual... Um, butchery or my usual butchery of, of portuguese so i don't know i don't think you we haven't butchered portuguese yet so maybe it's just a it's just an additional butchery additional um, butchery exactly <laughs> and all our brazilian listeners will be up in arms as well um but uh yes uh, so ss3 the uh the classic uh blast from faf to lam lamir here in there <laughs> Either way, uh, McRae absolutely blitzed it. Uh, he was nine seconds ahead of second place man Kankinen at the Escort, um, and it kind of set the tone for how Colin would approach the remainder of the day and indeed the rally. Uh, he claimed five out of the seven remaining stages, fastest times, um, the only blots on his copybook being uh, input from Kankinen and Freddie Loix on SS8 and SS9, respectively. Um, the only issue, as far as McRae was concerned, uh, occurred later in the day uh, when there was perceived lack of mid-range punch from the Impreza's bog boxer. Um, and while intensive efforts at the final service of the day uncovered nothing untoward, the uncertainty served to make McRae feel less than confident going to the second leg. And this despite, spoiler here, him going into that leg with a massive 40, 40, 44 second advantage. Um 
Hankinen spent his morning consolidating second place, uh, in this, which was aided by third place Carlos Sainz struggling with the handling of his Corolla WRC. Sainz complained of a, a vague front end and general feeling of twitchiness, uh, and he spent much of that opening day attempting to dial out these wayward traits through various suspension tweaks. Um, I think it's a measure of how consummate professional Sainz is and was, especially back then, that... that he never really can see. He never lets his uh, his chin droop, despite having, by all accounts, driving what must be a fairly terrible car at times. Well, not terrible innately, but certainly in terms of the setup, it wasn't to his liking. Uh, and yet, still there in a damage limitation mode throughout the the opening leg. Um, while emphatically shaded by McRae, Kankinen's drive was an impressive one all the same. Uh, making he made a second overall his own uh, by setting fastest time of all through SS8 the 22 kilometers of Vijou. Uh, and this is the the particularly hairy onboard I'll I'll try and dig out and put on our social media. Uh, it, it's pretty grainy, um, but it's most of most of the stage. And I mean, you can watch it and be impressed with how Kankanen is driving, which is the easy thing, but also there's a lot of, as we've said, locals doing the the full Latin and jumping out to take grainy photos. Um <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what's 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 worse, the butchery of the names or saying full Latin? <laughs> I don't know what the implications are. <laughs> well, oh. I, I, in the meantime, while you've been talking, I have checked, and and there was in the last three months, like there's been six downloads for the podcast in Portugal, and I appreciate we haven't been very active lately, but we might be safe. I'm sorry to you six guys. I, I genuinely... I, well, that's six downloads. So that could be the one guy, probably. Well, so. exactly, yeah. And, <laughs> and well, yeah. But but if the one guy, his his Latin temperament will ensure that he gets really upset at me. You, you don't want him to go full Latin on you, no? <laughs> Do we have to cut this out? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, God. <laughs> Are we just getting ourselves taken off lists for getting into these countries? Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> um, for his part, Mackinnon spent a good portion of the opening leg squabbling with Sainz over third place. Uh, and while the Finn did initially appear to <clears throat> seize the initiative, he had no answer for Sainz's blistering speed once the Toyota man had rendered the car more to his liking, at least on the opening leg. Science got faster as the leg prog progressed and ultimately consolidated his grip on third, one-eyed doubtless on legs two and three. Uh, for his part, Mackinnon couldn't be too disappointed with his performance on that first day. He ended it secure in fourth, sandwiched between Science and Loix, and seemingly with good chance of making inroads on the podium on, as the rally progressed. Uh, Loix was one of the stars of that opening leg, um, demonstrating that his drive to second here last year was no fluke. And he set about trying to repeat the feat, this time in a box-fresh Corolla WRC. He'd end the day fifth overall, uh, and while still a full 15 seconds behind Macden, he was at least a man in the form of his career, having demonstrated his pace in no uncertain terms. Oriel had a pig of an event, um, and despite that first initial uh, fastest stage time, uh, it went all went downhill from there. Um, various uh, transmission issues, and eventually it just refused, the Corolla refused to stay in gear. Uh, and he would retire on uh, the second leg, SS17. Uh, as for Burns and Piero Leati, they had solid rather than spectacular opening legs, respectively, uh, although the former had displayed flashes for speed, which had seen in best all challenges last time out in Kenya. The attacking manner with which Burns tackled the opening test of the second leg merely underlined the fact that he'd been keeping his powder dry and also that he had ample pace in reserve. Um... Next up, the second leg, which was 10 stages of combined competitive mileage, totaling 144.9 kilometres. Um, this first stage, uh, the first test was an eight-kilometre blast through Lusoda to Compello. Uh, and at first, it appeared as if Macklin had the stuff to commence his much-anticipated vault up the leaderboard. He was fastest of all through that stage, just ahead of countryman, fellow countryman Kankinen, but it wasn't to last. Uh, the very next stage, Mackinnon's Evo stepped out the exit of a fast right-hand corner uh, and was pulled into the surrounding woodland at speed. He managed to keep the car from pirouetting into the trees, but couldn't stop it from rotating, nor from exiting the stage, and with it, the rally. Um, wasn't the biggest crash, but it was certainly very much terminal as far as the car was concerned. 
uh, and left him with three retirements from the opening four rallies. Uh, not how one well you'd you'd have expected him or wanted him to uh, make his uh, title defence. You, you would assume. Um, and it's a measure of just how topsy-turvy the 98 season turned out to be that he would eventually succeed in defending it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard Burns and Freddie Lux, of course, both benefited from the demise of the lead Evo, uh, though, in truth, both had more than deserved promotion up the order on pace and merit alone. Lloyd's net netted a slew of second fastest times on the opening morning, while Burns, no doubt seeking to soothe Mitsubishi's disappointment at the loss of Mackinnon, was quickest on SS13 and SS14 to briefly hold third place overall. Um, this is the point when Oriole's Corolla decided quite enough of, of selecting gears and decided to become a, quite a, an attractive piece of street furniture instead, um, much, to, much to his disappointment. Um and another man with a mix of, of happiness and disappointment, you'd assume, was McRae, uh, who was yet again fastest on SS12, uh, but found his charge hobnailed by a puncture three kilometres from the end of SS14, the tabula stage. Um, there's an interview with McRae complaining that the uh, the tyre moose had failed to activate, uh, and as a result, McRae lost the thick end of 30 seconds of what had formerly been an almost one-minute-long advantage uh, he'd still end the leg with an advantage. He'd still end, end the leg with an advantage and still in the lead, but it'd be trimmed to just over 11 seconds. Second place, Kankanen was uh, not immune from second leg drama either. Uh, Triple K had generally been keeping the likes of Saints, Loikes and McRae honest uh, and maintained second overall in the process. But transmission issues made themselves felt on SS17 and he hemorrhaged time as a result, falling down to fifth by stage end. Uh, the very next service revealed a mashed pinion bearing on the front differential, uh, and with not enough time to simply conduct a like-for-like -like swap, the M Sport mechanics opted to remove the front drive shaft, effectively converting the Escort to rear-wheel drive, which you'd assume must have done wonders for uh, Kankinen's lurid slides on gravel, but probably not for uh, for his times. Well, definitely not for his times. <laughs> it stopped the end of his podium ambitions. Um. For his part, science was becoming quicker and quicker uh, as that second leg ticked by. Um, he set fastest time on SS16 to cement his grip on third place, and he could well have perhaps gone further still had an intermittent ABS issue ABS issue uh, robbed him of stopping power um, on the uh, the closing stages of the day. Um, Another factor in Sainz's inability to escape the bottom step of the podium was the form of Freddie Loix, who was fastest of all on stages 17 through 20 to end the leg in second overall, just 11 seconds behind McRae and the lead Corolla WRC driver. Um, I know we, I have talked a lot about Loix in this podcast, often perhaps in unfair terms, but I mean, it's stuff like this, you can see how you know, anyone watching in the late 90s would have felt fairly comfortable and put in a, a bet on him being Maybe not a world champion, but certainly, you know, a multiple event winner in the future. Um, Some, someone in the fight. Oh, anyway. Yeah, you know, quick on gravel, quick on tarmac. You know, knew his right way around a, a new world rally car. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, on to the, the final, uh, third and final stage uh, leg, rather, uh, which consisted of nine stages with a combined mileage of just 100.58 uh, kilometres over eight stages. Um, McRae was just second fastest through the opening test of the day, um, which was the uh, Lesudo Compelov run, eight kilometres of it. Um, he had to cede best to Sainz, uh, although the, obviously the Scots still had to keep one eye on the other crawler of Loikes. It was a classic case of being there being far too much at stake for McRae to drive at anything approaching full commitment until the chasing back pack began to slowly very slowly erode his lead as the stage the day wore on. As for Loix, he was again fastest through SS24, SS24, sorry, to retain second place overall for now, but he had no answer for McRae's ballistic times and fell away as the leg progressed, his course not helped by gear selection issues of his own. He'd ultimately have to be content with third spot overall in the final reckoning. Uh, he was, Loix was relieved of second by rejuvenated Saints on SS25, um, which the Spaniard won at a canter, did the same on SS27 to set himself and everyone else up for a thrilling last minute assault on McRae's lead. Um, and so McRae commenced the final stage of the rally, the 11 kilometres of Amarante, with a buffer of just 6.8 seconds, 
uh, a far cry from the uh, one minute long advantage he'd had earlier on in the event. Um, and it was pretty close stuff. In the end, it was science who was fastest, perhaps predictively, given that he had nothing to lose. And he claimed the stage by 4.7 seconds, enough to take the stage, but not enough to overhaul McRae for the lead, uh, with the Scots' ultimate victory margin, a scant 2.1 seconds. Further down the order, Burns came home in fourth, Vatten in fifth, uh, and with it, the lead escort WRC, while Liatti overcame Parizia Pons' lost voice to claim sixth overall, uh, while Kankadin had to be content with just seventh. Um, I've always been, the, the various commentaries, I've delved into it. Apparently, this gives nothing more about that the, the uh, pro-drive doctor managed to bring her voice back. I want to know about what what, what last-minute voice coaching you can do to retrieve a co-driver's lost voice on the final day of a, a three-leg rally. I mean... That that would be an interesting question to get answered. I've seen the King's speech, and I imagine it just involves, you know, gargling mar- 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 marbles and smoking or something. I don't know. <laughs> here's here's a large whiskey. <laughs> Take three of these. Um, uh, yes, and of course, uh, science... Uh, had to be content with second, um, and in the grand scheme of things, it's uh, it's hindsight's a wonderful thing. But uh, those extra points, if he had managed to overcome McRae, would have been fairly handy in the ultimate championship reckoning. Though, of course, he would have had to have he would have lost out to Mackinnon by just two points. Though, of course, he would have to have a draw would presumably still have seen Mackinnon crowned as champion on count back because Mackinnon. Would have won one more event. More events, I think three or four to Carlos's two. So, but either way, close stuff, and uh, yeah, a really thrilling rally. Um, just yeah, uh, for me, it's 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 everything. It's it's uh, my favorite rally cars, give or take. Uh, my favorite crop of drivers, and it's impossible to separate the the significance of, of watching it from afar at the time, really. Yeah, like you say, it's a great selection of cars that year anyway in general, isn't it, as well? An interesting point you made, actually, when you mentioned Boxfresh Corolla, it just put something into my mind. The Corolla was probably the best Toyota rally car from new, as in, you know, it was competitive right from its first and second events, say. Um, Yeah, didn't Gronholm get a podium with it in 97, I think, in Finland, I think. Yeah, Um, they were, all the Salikas early on were, either tricky or, or downright slow uh, or compared to their peers, you know? Mm. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at an SD205 and it's, uh, you know, I mean, that, I think what Kankanen did the first event in Australia and, and really hated it and struggled with it. Um, yeah. SD1 More on that later. Well, exactly. Yes, of course. <laughs> so, yes, that's my choice. Um, Killian, over to you. What have, what have you chosen? So, I've gone for 95. Um Although I know 95 is probably one of those years in the championship that gets talked about quite a lot. Um, this running of Portugal did speak to me somewhat as well. So I've uh, I've opted for that one. Um, <clears throat> so this was the 29th running of Rally Portugal in 95. Um, in its traditional home area, although it's it started uh, a bit further away from, from Estoril than it normally did. Um, it's round three on the eight-round calendar for 1995. Uh, the opening round in Monte Carlo had been won by uh, Subaru's Carlos Sainz, whose teammate Colin McRae retired on that event, while round two in Sweden had been won by local man Kenneth Eriksson um, on one of his selected events at Rally Art this season. Sainz had, in fact, retired in the previous round, so was raring to go, arriving in Portugal, having won here before in 1991 and hoping for uh, a repeat to... to go for another championship victory in this year. Um, in fact, Subaru, as a team, had a weekend to forget in Sweden that year as all three cars have failed to complete the rally, all because of engine issues. Each of the four manufacturers would field three cars for the event, except Rally Art Group A cars were not there. Um, the top-seeded Mitsubishis were, in fact, Rally Art Germany Group N cars. Um, the top, the top seeds saw Didier Oriel first on the road, nineteen ninety four world champion, followed by Juha Kankinen and Nicky Grist, also in a Salika, and Armin Schwartz, the number three car, 
Um, also with a friend of the pod, Armand Schwartz. Um, followed by Colin McRae, Carlos Sainz and Richard Burns, all in Impretzes. And Delacour, Francois Delacour, uh, in his traditional Ford at that point, uh, with Bruno Theory and uh, Alex Fiorio. Uh, very inexperienced Alex Fiorio, actually, or, or rather out of practice Alex Fiorio at that point, uh, rather than inexperienced, maybe mm. an unkind word, but um, hadn't done much rallying of, of late at that point. Mm. And also Richard Burns, it was Richard Burns' first event in three months, actually, when he sat behind the wheel of the Impreza on this mm. round. Um, so the DeFords as well also might be notable to point out that these were, these were now RAS ran cars. Obviously, Borham and, and Ford had hit fairly financial troubles in the previous year to the closure of Borum had been announced by this point, but it had kind of been given a stay of execution to prepare the escorts, although uh, Theory's care would actually be prepared in Belgium for some of the season as well. Uh, so kind of an odd set up there before, obviously, um, M Sport swooped in uh, in a couple of years' time. The rally would consist of 33 all-gravel stages over 482 competitive kilometres, though the rally saw two stages cancel at one point on the, the last day, ending up just over 100 kilometres less than the 1994 running of the event. With cracking Group A Lampods making appearance for night stages throughout the weekend, um, Sainz, Kankinen and Delacour had all won here in the past, so the event was shaping up to be a classic round right from the off. Coming into the event, there was talks that Subaru had turned down the wick on the Impreza's engine following the Swedish shocker uh, to try and preserve uh, reliability. Toyota had announced an electronics upgrade, in finger quotes, uh, giving a cure for their lack of pace on the opening two rounds in the new ST205 Celica. Like, it's important to note at this point that the, the, the Celica has had been nowhere uh, on the first two events. Um, pace was not really there at all. Was it this? Uh, didn't uh, Toyota were saying trying to, but underlining the idea that uh, their pace advantage wasn't a pace advantage, and it was purely because of Subaru, Subaru had turned turning. it down. Yeah, but it turns out I don't think Subaru had actually not done that at all. Apparently, so yeah. skullduggery in the nineties, mm. rallying skullduggery. Well, <laughs> I know Ovi Anderson looks like such a trustworthy chap. <laughs> Yeah. Um, as mentioned earlier, an event not well known for its spectator safety. The crowds in this event would be no better than the days when lives have been lost there, with onboard still showing crowds parting like the Red Sea before oncoming cars. Images perhaps more closely associated with days from the previous decade. Although to be honest, as, as we've already mentioned, that those those images were still a factor in the nineties, uh, right the way up till really the turn of the century. Uh, obviously, we now think of 95 as a stellar year for the 555 livery and pretzels, but coming into this round, they, they weren't looking that great. I know Carlos had done well in Monte, but the Impreza, it, it had been troublesome. Obviously, the Sweden was a shocker, but they hadn't been that quick so far. The opening leg on Friday would consist of nine stages over 177 kilometers. The new and totally legally improved Salikas were quickest off the blocks, with Kankinen setting the fastest time on the opening test at Tabua followed by teammate Didier Oriel, whose time was more or less matched by Carlos Sainz. Two of the now RAS ran Fords followed in fourth and fifth fastest with Delacour just six seconds off the Toyota of KKK on stage one. Sainz did drop back a bit on stage two in his now perhaps underpowered Impreza, while Kankinen took another stage win, the second of what would become five out of nine on the first leg. 1993 winner Francois Delacour would match Kankinen's time on stage two with Oriel just one second shy and the Toyota pair remaining in a one-two position. With signs dropping three seconds back from the leader to sit now five seconds off, which isn't bad considering how he felt that the car didn't have the power to match the Toyotas whatsoever. It was another win for Kankers on stage three, four seconds quicker than Oriel and five seconds ahead of signs to extend his lead to 10 seconds overall, while Colin McRae, who had been somewhat off the pace, managed to set a top three time for the first time that day. Delacour, meanwhile, his day took a turn for the worse as he took a cut and clipped a rock on quite a slow corner on stage three, rolling the car in one of those almost slow motion rolls that's almost more agonising to watch for it. Crunchy one. <laughs> Some helpful spectators were on hand to get the car back in all four wheels again, but Delacour and co-driver Catherine Francois 
had to take a long drive back to service with no windscreen. With the Escort looking worse for wear heading out to the next loop, it had gotten a new steering rack, but the RES mechanics didn't have time to finish the job and John Taylor, uh, team manager, uh, had stated that he wasn't going back out with power steering. The top five going into stage four were Kankinen, Oriel, Sainz, McRae and Bruno Theory, with 36 seconds separating first from fifth already. Delacour would complete stage four, but would retire on the following stage with oil starvation issues, perhaps as a result of dumping oil on uh, his role earlier. Stage four did see Carlos Sainz claim a first stage win of the event, three seconds quicker than Kankinen, and with McRae a further second back, starting to find his feet here. Stage five saw all three Toyotas set the top three times, followed by the Subarus of Sainz and McRae, with 11 seconds now separating Kankin and Sainz, and all three Toyotas in the top five overall. Stage six saw another Toyota 1-2 for KKK and Oriel, putting Oriel um, back into second place uh, after another stage win on, on uh, stage seven. It seemed like there'd be no stopping the Salikas this weekend, but as day turned to night and the Lampod shod cars wound their way back to service after some night stages, it would be Carlos Sainz somehow leading the rally by six seconds, something he wouldn't have believed possible if you'd asked him that morning. Juha Kankinen had bent his steering arm after an encounter with one of those pesky Portuguese boulders earlier on, allowing the Spaniard to leapfrog him into the lead, and Oriel had lost even more time than his Finnish teammate on the last stage of the day. Sainz said that night that he had no problem being the one to open the road the following day. And it was an 8am start at the Lusada Rallycross track featuring some tarmac and gravel for the cars to face off two at a time and broadcast live on Portuguese TV, um, which was somewhat of a novelty back then. You really didn't get live coverage of the championship at all. A couple of times a year, maybe, if you were lucky. Mm. All three Toyotas set an identical time on this... um, on this circuit before heading back to the thronged stages proper. Kankers managed to turn his six second deficit into a four second one. And Sainz's road position on stage 13 didn't help him hold the lead for long, with Oriel taking a stage win and Kankinen taking the lead back from El Matador before completing stage 14, which was Fafé 2, with a five second advantage to second place Sainz. So it didn't take him long really to turn down the Turn around his his six no. second disadvantage to that with his um electronics upgrade. <laughs> they they can't see you doing those air quotes. <laughs> uh, it wasn't all fun for the Toyotas, however, as Colin McRae took a stage win on fifteen, which was Lully has two. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it, and also be elevated to third overall. So at this point, it was really looking like a complete two-horse race between Kankinen and Sainz, as the Scot was over a minute behind the top two, now followed by Oriel, who had lost over a minute having rolled on the second run over Fafé. It hadn't been a good start to the season for McRae, who really needed a strong finish here to keep any title hopes alive. Kankinen and co-driver Nicky Grist would go fastest over the next two stages, while Carlos Sainz would later say he was perhaps taking far too many risks to try and, within touch, stay in, try and stay in touching distance of the flying fin. With three stages left in the day and night falling, Sainz was 10 seconds off the leader. Oriel would claw back some time toward McRae with the fastest time on stage 19, while the remaining two saw a stage win apiece for the leaders. Another five fastest times on day two for Juha Kankinen. Sainz claimed at the end of the day he saw no chance for victory, with a 22-second gap to be made up. It seemed Toyota could prepare to celebrate a third win here in Portugal for Juha Kankinen. But, as Ove Anderson pointed out, rain was forecast. And it could be a long day ahead. Meanwhile, uh, at the overnight halt, when Kankinen was asked on camera about where the extra power came from, he pointed at his bicep and said, from here. Day three did indeed bring rain, and lots of it. This was a big issue for the Michelin Shad Toyotas while the Pirelli-clad Impreza's now had a chance to make their bid for points. It wasn't rain so much as downpours, and with 147 kilometres over 12 stages to go, it was now Subaru's chance to bounce. McRae would take the first stage win of the day, a comfortable four seconds clear of Schwartz, and seven ahead of Kankinen, whose time was matched by signs, now with the bit between his teeth, and maybe taking back his words of no chance, having seen the rain-filled clouds getting up that morning. 
the second stage of the day saw Sainz take 14 seconds out of Kankinen's lead, dramatically chopping it down to eight seconds. While McRae's third place was now looking very, very comfortable, a minute ahead of previous year's world champion, Didier Oriel. That's a monster of a time in terms of, you know, Sainz there. Fair play. I mean, I know tyres and weather, but still, I'd love to see an onboard from that. Yeah, I mean, the footage looks incredible um, from that third day. Like, it, it doesn't seem like you can actually see the pace disadvantage the Toyotas are at on this poor footage, and the impresses look like they're just really comfortable. Stage 24 was cancelled, but 25 saw fired-up signs take another four seconds from a Kankinen who was now seemingly powerless to stop this late charge, despite Mitchell and staff cutting tyres in an effort to get any extra grip. That was on the table. It was clear that Pirelli was the superior tyre in these conditions and by some margin. But it wasn't over yet. Kankinen managed to increase his lead by seven seconds on stage 26. Now back to 11 seconds. And one again on stage 28 with 27 having been cancelled also. Sainz now had five stages to close the gap and give Subaru their first ever win in Portugal. No mean feat against a driver like Kankinen. Schwartz would claim his second stage win of the event on 29. But importantly for Sainz, he reduced the gap to nine seconds. And by the end of the next stage, with Sainz having once again taken a huge chunk of time from the lead in Toyota, he was now level with Juha Kankinen. Now he went on to secure his victory, winning the final three stages and with no shortage of drama still to come for him. Leaving nothing on the table, Sainz ditched his spare tyre going into the final three stages or the final stage. And only less than three kilometres in, he would sever his front brake line, leaving him to do the final seven kilometres, seven and a bit kilometres of the last stage with only his rear brakes. And somehow he still gained time on that stage over Kankinen uh, and winning the event by over 12 seconds. And um, it's just vintage Kalos stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's just just quiet brilliance and and perseverance and and yeah what an absolute hero like that is crazy stuff like he thought like he pulled up when they when they finished the stage he thought they'd lost the rally like he was almost despondent except the car was was mobbed by by spanish fans and spraying champagne and lewis moya said uh, to cruise back in park Ferme that carlos told me we had no brakes and i told him carlos we are still going to win even with our brakes I always believe in God and even more when we have to win and we are going to win. We nearly went off the road and I'm not lying, maybe 10 times, but still we managed. Incredible. <laughs> that should be oh, framed somewhere. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, it must be like th- that stage alone has to be like a top, like one of the top tier signs performances. And he, he's a few, um, but that is not stuff like 7K with the rear brakes and as we know, like the rear brakes aren't up so much, you know, they're no. not they're not your dominant You're not um, your stopping things, yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. you know, and and he it, it seemed like when he got to like he thought that was it, it was game over, but yeah. Um but I mean, there is, sorry, go on. No, go on, go on. There are so many quietly brilliant science drives over his career that it, it would be really hard to select him. Um yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds incredible. McRae would go on to finish third after an absolute thriller of an event, putting a smile back on David Richards' face after a dismal start to the year. And Sainz would now lead the championship by one point going into the next round. And crazily, Mitsubishi would retain their lead in the manufacturer's standings after their Group N cars won their class in a weird points situation. Um, I d- Don't ask me. Um it's a weird wild west of the WRC back then in a, a rotation age as well. You know, it's very odd. So, yeah, as often has been the case, Portugal 1995 didn't disappoint. And I, for one, would have been thrilled to witness it. Dodgy crowds or no, it looked like to be a stunning event to watch and produced a, a proper battle between two real consummate professionals and world champions. Um, oddly enough, given the nature of the event, something that did stand out to me is Portugal is traditionally very attritional, like you've mentioned, the boulders and the bedrock. And while there was a few cloutings and bendings of steering arms as such, Kankinen came across. Delacour was the only retirement out of the top challengers, which is which is pretty, I think it's pretty significant on its own. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, pretty good event. I know it, it did devolve into really a battle between two people quite early on, but I think that's where the story lies with it. And, and I just uh, the fight back from signs and trading the lead multiple times, even though like uh, Kankinen had far more stage wins over the course of the event. It just shows that once again, rallying control up any sort of a result. I mean, you say it's, you know, a battle between just two, but when the just two, are, you know, are two of the, the greats and it's someone coming back from a, a a seemingly insurmountable deficit, one, you know, that the sites cop to as well, you know. And, you know, I know all drivers play mind games, but I get the impression that Carlos, even then, wasn't really one of them. You know, it probably, if it hadn't been for the weather, he knew he wouldn't really have stood a chance, you know. So, no, oh, absolutely. Uh, an absolute cracker, that. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely one that stands out. But, I mean, I, as I said earlier, I know 1995 gets, it gets recapped quite a bit, maybe maybe more than it deserves um, when there's when there's plenty of stuff to talk about in the World Championship. But, um, yeah, I think that science performance is one that really stands out. I mean, it's a... It's it's talked about for reasons, and that you know, it's like you know, it, it it's there. It's it's not for nothing, right? You know, no, the, no, and I'm not the, saying it is. No, no, I know, I know. But you know, the Toyota thing, the McRae thing, it's 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 all there. The science falling off his bike thing, you know, it's got a a movie script about it. Um, yeah, for yes. sure. So that brings us to an end of another retrospective ish, uh, issue. I was going to say uh, we're not a print media uh, outlet by any means. Uh, another retrospective episode of Rally DNA. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this chat about Portugal. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another interview um, with a current uh, World Rally Championship uh, competitor. Uh, and we'll follow that up with another retrospective for Rally Italy. Uh, we're saying Rally Italy rather than Rally Sardinia because, of course, that gives us a chance to talk about San Remo. Um, we won't we won't both do it. <laughs> and we'll have more of that content to come uh, over the next few months. Thanks for sticking with us. I appreciate we've been away for a while. Um, life has, has gotten in the way of podcastings. Um, unfortunately, we can't get to do this all the time. Um, but it's been fun to come back. And we hope you all enjoy it. And you've stuck with us until this point. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it as usual. Thanks very much for listening and tune in in a couple of weeks for another episode of Rally DNA.